0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Vet Chat. We're very fortunate today to have one of my uh, coaches, mentors, whatever you want to call him. It's Sean Wensley, who I think is is definitely my coach in all things wildlife. If I'm out bird watching, uh, I see or hear usually a difficult bird. I've become very good this year, Sean. I think we've all heightened our senses, haven't we, a bit with, with lockdown going out more, listening and hearing the same birds and then starting to recognise them and things. And I've never quite been as good at bird song as I should be, but you've been a real help to me over the last 12, 18 months with sedge warblers and white throats and, and all sorts.
1: I was, yeah, kind of you say that. And I similarly love get, getting your little field notes when you're out and about. And obviously that's a Beauty of phones these days, isn't it? And WhatsApp and what have you. Um, yeah, no, it's been fantastic to see wildlife and appreciation of our, our local, local setting, our local environment comes to the fore in these times, these challenging times of, of lockdown. But there seems to have been mm. something of a, a reconnection, hasn't there? That lots of people have talked about. And it's been a
0: tragic time, hasn't it? And but hopefully in five years we might look back and say, within that sacrifice there was a blessing that somehow we managed to reconnect back to the environment to appreciate the the natural world and to cherish it more and, and protect it. And this is the decade when we've got a lot of things that we need to do, haven't we?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, obviously the pandemic, I think, has reminded a lot of people of our vulnerability, our fragility, and particularly yeah. in terms of our relationship with the natural world. Um, and you know natural forces that we never that far away from it can feel like we are obviously urbanization <clears> and the the man man made environment that we that we occupy it can just all seem so comfortable in times of plenty and um but you know we're just a, such a thin thread away from the natural world aren't we i mean a proper ecological perspective on the position that we occupy in the world um as you say in that. the
0: in the wealthy West, we we are a bit insulated from disasters, but of course, we've seen in the last few weeks the terrible floods in Germany, and it mm. does show that there are definitely whoever would want to deny that. There are things afoot, aren't there?
1: Yeah, so I guess we're all, I mean, you'd like to think everyone is at, at the very least peripherally aware of the climate emergency, the ecological emergency then something like this just maybe brings to the fore, as I say, that sort of dependency that we have on, on nature uh, and, our, and our fragility. But it also reminds us of, in times of lockdown not least, how being in green space, blue space, if we have access to blue space, and being surrounded by biodiversity, just as you say, birdsong and sunrises, you know, and the dew the, the on your on your lawn in the morning if you're fortunate mm. to have one it just puts brings all of that front and center a bit more for people and by all accounts mm. you know several behaviors have, have followed people's the number of people taking up gardening the number of people subscribing to um wildlife and conservation charities there seem to be multiple indicators that that, that has been yeah. a real phenomenon yeah
0: i've loved this year planting in what is usually my raised bed for vegetables which i've given up on because the slugs destroy any spinach or lettuce I try to grow yeah. I've, I've had a beautiful I, I'd like to call it a meadow that's probably a bit grandiose but a a, a small space there full of cornflower, various types of daisy uh, and it just is a magnet then of course for the bees and and it's just so beautiful to watch and just re- to relax in that space as well as yeah and and then the birds and everything that's around there as well
1: yeah um so we're i've had a similar experience here with my family um i mean we've not been in the house that we're in just now for too many years and uh the house itself needed a little bit of work so we got that done first but we are fortunate that we've got a a modest uh back garden so when it came to then having a chance to 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 do of work on that you know we planted it up with nature in mind i suppose i've always been interested in wildlife gardening Uh, you maybe got to do a bit of it at school and that sort of thing so to actually have your own little patch for the first time put a little pond in and then look for the um i'd look for the rhs the royal Horticultural society plant for pollinators logo so like your cornflowers and your nasturtiums and your dahlias and whatever um and and fill your own little nature reserve with, yeah. uh, with habitats, nest okay. boxes, we've got a couple of bat boxes, the little bug hotel, all the usual stuff. But it's, I think, then the sort of sense of connection that you have, the sense of stewardship for that little patch of land. Yeah. It's such a, and it is, anyone that visits, you know, they'll tell you it's, it's pretty modest, but uh, it's quite a profound, yeah, sense of
0: connection. You, you can do so much. We we uh, Last night I was out and we had the swifts flying. About. Ah, fantastic. And I put a Swift box up at my house and the neighbour's house, and I keep on saying, come over here. They still haven't quite managed to... Uh, yeah. colonize unfortunately but uh, it's always beautiful to hear those screeches in the late evenings as they fly so, overhead
1: so good yeah so just down the road uh, there's a, an institute for disabled people that reliably has house martins that nest under the eaves yeah. so that's lovely just down the road and then this year for the first time i saw just a couple of weeks ago swifts low over our back garden which I hadn't seen before and I noticed they were going up to the eaves of the houses just beyond us and I think they you know they're prospecting for nest sites for yes. next year presumably Hopefully next year yeah we'll um, we'll have a rush
0: on see who see who gets we'll in, uh, race <laughs> yeah well listen I've I've moved on very quickly because you know we both get excited about the natural world but of course I, I should have of course as any good chairman should have introduced you first but uh, I, I'd I'd probably introduce you as a a scouser like myself, but a posh scouser you've (laughs) brought up in Formby, which those people who don't know is just up the coast from where I live in, in Crosby. Uh, Renowned for its dunes, for its red squirrels. Of course, is Natterjack toads. And of course, that's another little area that we've bonded on recently with me uh, sending you some photographs of um, of the tadpoles and so on. I think we have about, a quarter of the nation's Natterjack Toads on our mm. areas you know over the several miles running up towards Southport don't we?
1: Yeah so very fortunate to grow up in that part of the world on the Sefton coast and definitely I would say to as i was to you just before anyone asks me where I'm from I say Liverpool's my home city so I'll, I will claim being a Scouser even if I'm not quite as Scouser as others. Um, yeah for is I mean that Neck of the Woods is fantastic. We're so fortunate to have grown up there. There's lovely <clears> pine <throat> woods, sand dunes, um, the beaches, multiple international uh, conservation protections and designations because of the, the mm. migratory waders, not least, that come through. Um, I've left now, as you... Well, know. I'm speaking to you from Northern Ireland, but you're still there and you send me yes. recordings and notes, and it just takes me back every time, and I love receiving them. It's fantastic. Uh,
0: good man. Of course, as well as being a vet, uh, you, for a short period, it's a bit like today, I was watching Olympic records, you know, falling within a few hours of each other on the cycling, or I think one was a day. So similarly for you at the time, you were the youngest ever BVA president. Danielle has stolen that thunder away from you, but uh, how old were you when you were BVA president? Uh,
1: 35.
0: 35, yeah. And, I think it was really great. I I love the fact of when you were announced as um, BVA president, I think I'd actually spoken to the comms director, Sally Bernal, and said, do you know what? BVA just need a young person in. Sean Wensley would be brilliant. And she just was quiet because I think you'd already been kind of chosen as the next BVA president. And I love the fact that, that, You know, we talk about the environment, we talk about nature, but actually it's all interconnected, isn't it? You know, um, fair trade, um, sustainability of the food that we eat. So I know you were very instrumental in encouraging BVA to have food at buffets that had been sustainably produced that were fair trade produced, because if people are connected with their environment, they're more likely to respect that environment as well. so and I think for me, your biggest achievement, and I'm obviously slightly biased because I love my birds, as you know, was the uh, being a part, certainly, of that banning of the trade of of wild birds coming into the country. So I'd love you to tell that story because it's such a, a lovely story of somebody who noticed a change in the world and really made it. that uh, it was a pivotal moment. It could have been lost, but obviously yourself. I, I know, and others were able to to step in and and stop that terrible trade, which of course used to cause so many deaths. So tell us a little bit about that story.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, several of the the points you've mentioned uh, in those kind few words um, are linked. So, you know, I, I grew up like you um, in the Northwest, spending my time out on the beach and in the pine woods and just sort of bumbling around when I didn't have to do other things like study and um you know you you did reflect on our our place in the world and how we as humans interrelate with all of these wonderful birds not least that were coming down from canada and just passing through our little patch and then they'd be in west africa you know days or a week mm. later um and so that was my in to, to wanting to be a vet really and we all come into the vet impression from different backgrounds and interests and perspectives. So mine was like you, Anthony, I think very much the, the natural world. Um, I then, uh, I, I enjoyed practice. So my first job was in Liverpool, um, in, in South Liverpool, and I obviously lived there at the time, and that was great. Uh, and I enjoyed that. But I'd also done a master's after straight after vet school in uh, applied animal behaviour and animal welfare. So I would increasingly become interested and then sort of professionally interested in the, the general topic of of animal ethics and animal welfare and again sort of how we relate to other animals how we relate to the natural world not only how do we relate but how should we relate you know those ethical questions and part of that master's i'd done um a project on the welfare of captive parrots parrots kept as pets and indeed in that first job in practice uh, we had a quite a high exotic caseload and we were we were seeing captive parrots most amongst that so there were the set of um, welfare problems that frequently occur with captive pet parrots you know they're, they're very long-lived they're very intelligent um, and yet they often live alone they can be in quite a barren unstimulating cage environment and you know lots of them would feather peck and that sort of thing um, but then separately there was this question of where some of them were coming from to to become our pets um, and there was a, a very significant trade in in wild courts and uh, internationally transported parrots from both in particular south america and and africa um, so bva's charity the animal welfare foundation they have their annual discussion forum which i know you support and i've been to several times um, and they just asked me in i think that was 2006 would i Contributes the program uh, with a a presentation on parrot welfare. So I guess in normal times I would have probably focused more on the the captive setting than the international trade, although I'm sure I would have mentioned it. But it just so happened that at that time there had been a case of um, avian flu detected at an avian quarantine facility in Essex. And that was from that was a parrot that had been imported from uh, South America. And the, the, the trade that had been going for you know, 20, 30 years had stopped overnight. And during those 20, 30 years, many arguments have been made that it should stop, that it was unethical and unsustainable. And that was on three principal counts. One was the potential risk of importing uh, an important pathogen. Um, Prescient that, that, in, that in could these be, times. Exactly, that could be zoonotic and <clears throat> commercially important if it went into domestic livestock. Uh, two, just the unsustainable harvest. so this was a principal driver of endangerment uh, for, for several of these species and three animal welfare, which was you know the crude capture methods and there was a lot of mortality at successive um, mm. points in the supply chain. So it stopped overnight and I was just in that position of giving this presentation saying, well, you know it seems to me that we the veterinary profession could, Get be you know join others to make the call that this should be made uh, a, an indefinite ban rather than temporary because we care not least about infectious disease risk and importation of pathogens and of course we can uh, care about animal welfare. Um, I would say even on the third now we've we, as a profession we've ralli- we've come to the fore on the conservation angle as well. So I think we're, we're fighting mm-hmm. on all you know we're advocating on all areas now. But then the strongest argument seems pathogen risk yeah. and pathogen instruction risk and animal welfare and happily BVA here wasn't so closely involved with it at the time considered it through their policy committee and said yeah you know we, we would agree Um, and that position was then uh, that BVA position was adopted by the Federation of Vets of Europe so this was a a Europe-wide trade these are birds were coming into Europe and so I think it helped that FVE took a strong stance as well mm. and Got long story short, as you say, working alongside uh, the World Parrot Trust, RSPB, um, RSPCA on the the welfare side, not least um, uh, the the trade was banned permanently in January two thousand
0: and seven. So a- which is just such a, a great story. I've been lucky enough to go to Costa Rica, which is probably one of the most biodiverse countries mm. in the world, and to see a flock of scarlet macaw mm. fly across a. Forest clearing is a, a moment you'll never forget. It's just such a, a beautiful thing to see.
1: Yeah, absolutely fantastic. So I think there was an estimated 4 million birds annually that would be spared.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a great legacy, you know, for you strayed. and and the people who were, you know, involved in that, like the RSPB and the Parrot Trust and so Yeah.
1: Of. Well, I remember being on, uh, we were doing, we did some, we presented at certain meetings um, at the European institutions so the, the, the parliament and the commission so i was going in and out mm-hmm. of brussels um, with these colleagues on eurostar at the time and you know i was sitting next to the people who'd been lobbying on this f- for the best part of 20 years yeah. you know so i felt a bit in that sense a bit of a fraud state sort <laughs> yeah. of swat in at an opportune moment right at the end and yeah. sort of well, just brilliant so thank me. you so much
0: <laughs> for for that amazing work that you've done um because of course you know we've talked about this before all of this you know you really helped to i think bring it was very much a part of your theme of your three years with bva was was all around you know welfare but also one health sustainability which i know people like simon docherty are very much pushed forward on as well but uh we we need to be producing food in a sustainable way don't we in a re- regenerative way maybe now as well
1: yeah absolutely so whilst I kind of focus in through my, my master's and beyond on, on animal welfare in particular and then um, even more focused on the veterinary profession's role in improving animal welfare both in practice and policy particularly in the area of, of food production you're right this then into animal welfare as a, a policy area intersected with so many other globally important issues Mm. and you're quickly thinking about the food system aren't you the global food system yeah and our ability to feed what we know is a very rapidly escalating human population so one that's predicted to go from wherever we are now about seven and a half billion people now to 10 billion nine to 10 billion Yeah. yeah by 2050 how do you produce enough food for all these hungry mouths uh in a way that is fair to animals, fair to mm-hmm. producers, doesn't harm or further harm the environment, preserves biodiversity, if not prom- protects and promotes biodiversity, uh, doesn't increase the risk of AMR, you know, all of these massive global challenges. Um, but I've massively enjoyed that as well. I'm working with people like Simon, who you've mentioned and yeah. many others, who I suppose take that kind of systems thinking yeah approach to to and it's not even just the the science of all that you know the ethics that goes with it as well how do you mm. make sure that because it involves trade-offs you're trying to find a, a sort of a, a, a fair line of best fit through all of those problems
0: and not being binary but but being more sophisticated that, than that and, and triangulating and coming to the right decisions in the end we, we as you probably know uh, helped wva with a food security webinar and one of the the speakers was from Guelph very much talking about that how do we get to 10 billion people but actually start pulling the planet back as well and yeah. it's interesting to see that business is starting to think and even shareholders are now starting to look for companies that aren't just profit-centered but are looking at those three areas the ESG the environment. Uh, social and governance you know that they are so important and in some ways that's a message that's been going in the environmental forum for a long time but it's we need business to come into that and it's it's great to see that that is starting to happen and of course mm. the end of this year we've got COP26 in, mm. uh, in Glasgow as well so there's there are huge opportunities to start really moving into a more positive future aren't there
1: yeah and i mean i'm really interested in you know there's this idea that if we carry on on our current trajectory then meat and dairy consumption and production will need to double by 2050 yeah um and so that sort of mindset is then focused that okay well we just need to make things more efficient more productive and you know it's all about mitigation um but a a different approach would say kind of start with well how many mouths we've we got to feed and how could we do it in a way that's sympathetic mm-hmm. most sympathetic to the <clears> environment and to animals and have that as you start and maybe challenge a bit more the inevitability yeah. of just ever increasing production and consumption it's
0: thinking in a different way isn't it and it's moving from food and saying well could we eat less meat but better quality meat? Mm, yeah can we produce in a different way it's uh and that's There's some really interesting philosophical discussions isn't there
1: yeah and that's where i've been really fascinated to sort of get to through some of the the policy discussions uh with with the profession you know with with i'll say with bva but not forgetting that bva has all of the species specialist yeah. associations feeding in so that includes obviously the, the farm animal divisions as well because and of
0: course you're also sean very much involved now with FE, which is the federation of vets in europe yeah. Uh within within their various committees as well, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I chair FVE's um animal welfare working group, but both FVE and BVA now have beautiful uh policy positions on sustainable animal agriculture. You know, so mm. we've we have done a lot of this thinking and captured the sort and, and articulated a, a veterinary vision, and as you say, it includes uh advocating less and better meat consumption, yeah. which I think is on the face of it, a bit challenging for some people, but once you look into the why's and wherefores, and mm. start then identifying and showcasing exactly as you just said, some of the vets who are doing brilliant work on regenerative agriculture and agroecology, and mm. you know, higher welfare farming. I, <laughs> I think you and I have both said So we're both optimists, but th- yeah, there's enough to be optimistic about that. <clears throat> there, there aren't just inevitable harmful trajectories. There and of
0: course, bad. BVA, F E and also WVA very much involved in that as i say the, yeah. the food security symposium that we hosted that's still on the site i'll make sure charlie puts that link in somewhere uh is well worth watching for those who are listening and haven't seen it yet because it really was eye-opening for me as someone who thinks he knows a little bit about the the topic so it's well worth watching yeah that's that's really good um so i know domestically you know
1: bba had done work to that had identified through their voice of the veterinary profession survey that 79% of vets said that we vets should be playing a greater role in the sustainability agenda and that's helped prompt some of the, the green yeah. team vet work that's going on and WVA just last December uh, you probably saw published their policy position on the, the global climate emergency and yeah. uh, their thoughts about the veterinary response to that so it has all come to the fore it's uh,
0: and you know also the very important work you're doing with vet sustain which I think is just Raising that profile, what was really good in one of our early webinars in this series was we managed to get Craig Bennett, who's the CEO of the Wildlife Trust, to speak. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, vets, you are well respected in the community. If you're doing things like putting solar panels on your roof, if you've got a wildlife garden and planting some trees, if you've got space, that, that creates waves amongst the general population because they see that vets are interested in it. And maybe we should be interested in it as well.
1: Yeah, I'm, I really support that because things that we do as vets. So I think both, uh, particularly in the medical profession and the NHS, have now grasped the, the carbon and environmental impact of of medicine and medicine yeah. and surgery and those activities, and I have various pledges and commitments and work plans to um, to work towards net zero and and so on. That then is now being seen and talked about in the in the veterinary profession. Um, which I think is really great. So, there's what there's the practical stuff that we just have to do because, you know, everyone in society needs to do their, their bit practically. But absolutely, I think part of this is if trusted, credible professionals do some of these things and talk about them and prompt and uh, participate in societal discourse about the importance mm. of some of these activities, then I think that amplifies, you know, our contribution beyond. I'll say just the the everyday practical actions which of course are so important as well but yeah I think our role Mm. in signaling to society that this is important needs to be taken and we
0: probably need to draw it to a close Sean but we could probably speak for several hours but I think it would only be the two of us left on at the end (laughs) or only some really committed but (laughs) you know I know you're working with BDSA and uh, there's There's some lovely stories. We're seeing it, you know, across Liverpool Our our Metro Mer gave quite a lot of money in grants for different organisations to to rewild or do things that would uh, enhance the natural world. So my wife actually won a grant for £1,500 for her school to put in a bee garden, Mm. to grow some wildlife meadows, uh, some place for the birds, some trees. Uh, so it's really fantastic work going on you know as i said i've been doing a, a small little while i've met her outside my house but also at the office that we have but i know pdsa also in kirkdale the scousers are taking the lead here yeah. in sustainability tell me a little bit about the the uh beautiful garden that they have in kirkdale as well
1: yeah no well well done to your wife first and that's great that she got that for her school um yeah, so this was I mean, an example of, of local action. So we've got one of our 48 PDSA pet hospitals is in Kirkdale and Liverpool. Um, and the team there, just essentially off their own bat, you know, they had a, a vet and a vet nurse who were, I think one of them uh, is a conservation volunteer in her spare time anyway. And the other one had a keen interest and they had a little raised bed. And so they took as, uh, as a first step um, the, the idea to, just reinvigorate that and get it planted up and have some veg and flowers. And then, you know, they saw that that was part of a, a slightly bigger space at the back of the hospital. Um, and they've basically just done a small wildlife garden. I think they got a, a small grant to put in some uh, young trees as well. Mm-hmm. um There's a little bench, and <clears throat> you know, it, it's it's great because they'll post. We have like an internal uh, sort of organizational Facebook type thing. um They post pictures, and yeah. you can see that there's the aesthetic beauty they like to see it and it's sort of spruced up a little dull patch at the back but then there's the the importance of taking breaks taking breaks in in the natural space and you know they go out and they and they use it that way which is so important as well and i think as you said if if you think of the the potential for veterinary practices just there is what five thousand odd of us if each of us does something like that it's that Mm -hmm. thing about you know you've said before um Uh, Think think global, act local. Yeah, you you can make a meaningful contribution if everyone just puts in a fairly. And of course, that space will
0: be a really positive space for mental health. You know, we. Yeah. It's another podcast, but we're aware of the pressures that vets and nurses and and the whole practice team are under at the moment with the pandemic and the shortage of vets. And it's it as you say, it's so important. You know, I say to my own team. Working remotely, you must take breaks. You must have a lunch time, etc. You know, and enjoy nature at the same time as well. That's right. Yeah, and that brings us back to totally. I mean, that's
1: one health front and center, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I've always thought over the years. Okay, well, I'm sure, and you're Anthony. You like the skylarks. I like squirrels, but other people like them less than us. And they go, you know. So, what, how do we demonstrate the value of of nature yeah. to to society? And the increasing body of evidence that links access to green space so access to green space and access to a range of plants and animals um in our everyday lives is is linked to improved psychological well-being mm. and of course physical health opportunities as well so um i've really enjoyed seeing that come to the fore of agencies like natural england um initiatives like the recent mental health awareness week you know i think yeah we're seeing many more examples are both in policy and practice of human well-being and nature
0: intertwined and being completely
1: intertwined yeah yeah
0: sean we'll finish off uh, with a little bit of bragging rights from me tomorrow i'm driving down towards london to a wedding for a very good friend of mine um but i will have some time when i'm down there to go uh just close to the rspca headquarters to net estate's to have a little wander around their rewilding project. So I don't know if you've been down to Net yet.
1: I haven't no, heard a lot about it. But so it, it could jealous. be a little
0: first for me to, I'll, I'll, I'll try and send you some nice photographs, but uh, thanks for everything that you do within the veterinary profession for the great work that you obviously do at the PDSA, but particularly, you know, the work that you're doing around regeneration, sustainability, animal welfare, fantastic legacy around the the wild birds that you've saved over the last 10 20 years as well as obviously the other people who were involved in that and, and thanks for just being a, a great advocate and a great example uh within the veterinary profession so thank you so much
1: well thank you Anthony thanks for having me just now but also for all of your support and encouragement over the air and the platforms that you give us for these various topics through the webinar vet and this this vet chat just now you've been a A great support over many years. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Shaw. Take care.